I'm so popular. We are here tonight for my annual Halloween series. This week, talking about Final Destination with a very special returning guest. Who are you? Hello, everyone. My name is Angel Hart, and I'm the world's premier Final Destination otaku. Woo! Yay! Welcome back, Angel. What are you doing? Um, what am I doing with my life? That's a good question. Sure. What are you doing? Um, nothing. Me too. Um, why are we still friends? It's been a year and now we're even we better friends. We have been friends. a year. I feel like the first, like, the Scream episode is, like, us becoming friends. Because that was our first, like, long, real kiki. Yeah. And so now we can see the state of things a year later. Exactly. Because that was, like, that was a deep, like, all hands on deck kiki as well. Okay. I had never hung out one-on-one with you, and then I came to your house for about 12 hours. Yeah, because we watched... What scream? We watched four, four and five, and, five, and, and we then were we did sirens for about five hours. Yeah, we recorded for like four hours after that, so we were like fully like one on one for hours, and I didn't get sick of you one yeah, time. Yeah, I didn't get sick of you either, and I'm still not. So <gasps> really, we have ah. uh, endless um, troves <laughs> of discussions to have. Truly, I do feel thankful that um, you have seen me in my fully most exposed. Um, barren state. Uh, you've seen me through like the whole drama of all of this year because now we have movie club where yes, we, we do. We watch a movie together with our little friends every week, and that has also been like my personal narrative drive in which I would arrive every week with updates about what's going on. And you have not gotten sick of me one time to my knowledge. No, I know. I mean, like, I can't be sick of things that are like continuously entertaining. <laughs> If I, I you've also, to be seen, you've also that. now seen me like throw up outside in each way. I have seen you do that. And, and like, it was super know, glamorous. Yes. Um, we've um, shown a lot of our our angles to each other. Yeah, our sad our sad mirrors. Um, I mentioned this on Sirens, which is by the way really high octane and exciting. <laughs> if anyone is at all interested in my life at all, then that episode is 100% critical. $5 a month on patreon.com slash I'm so popular. But yeah, we have seen each other at some very uh, interesting life junctures. And also I have so many cute little memories of the misadventure. I feel like the two of us, when we're in Nietzsche together, we always do something really funny. Something always happens. Something always happens. Like, Okay, most recently, it wasn't even that long ago, maybe three weeks ago, and it was just us after a cat went home doing Nichime for hours, and that was, like, the most fun I've had in ages. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was the time I was telling you about on Sirens when the guy told me my outfit sucked. Oh. Or wait, were we not on Sirens? I might have just been saying that to you. That was on Sirens, but... Oh, I, was he, yeah. I don't... I still don't remember. <laughs> oh, that was also the night You're... that I got in trouble for talking about Trump or something too much, right? What? Was that that night? It was, because Maggie came and visited us, and it was those two guys visiting from D.C. Do you remember this? No. I might have missed this. Oh, no, that was with Kiku. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Well... Oh, my God. I just exchanged my two oriental slender tweets. <laughs> what is the other one? <laughs> it's you and Kiku. Why am I one of them? Because you're so good at oh Japanese. <laughs> uh, well, we are here to talk about Final Destination today. Yes. Um... I really like this tradition that we've established doing Scream and Final Destination of doing, like, big blockbuster generic horror franchises that may not be all that artistically elevated and then just really stick in the shovel in there. But Final Destination definitely changed my worldview growing up uh, because in the sort of grocery store DVD rental way that... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's how I first saw it. Really? Literally, you know, like, Redbox? Yeah. I first Redboxed the... Um... The Final Destination, the fourth one. Mm-hmm. And that was my introduction to it. Yeah, like, there's, like, this quality of it smelling and stinking up around, like, grocery stores and, like, rental services, and that you just kind of get exposed to it one way or another. Yeah. And it left a big impression on me because of the extraordinarily violent and dreadful way it evokes death. But how did you come to love it? Because beyond that red box experience, you're, like, now one of, like, the biggest... Fans. Oh yeah, I love Final Destination. I think you might be the biggest I've ever met. The thing is, like, 
you know, when it comes to, like, Scream, for instance, like, mm-hmm. I think there is genuine artistic merit to at least the first couple of Screams. Sure. Foundation should no, not really. Um, but it's just so, like, it's entertaining to me, I think, because of, like, the idea of, like, inevitability mm-hmm. and, like, fate that gets baked into it. And also, I really like um, the whole, like, Rube Goldberg machine of it. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the really complicated... One's, like, one of my... Probably my favorite of all time might be Valerie Luton in the first one. Right. Um, like, the teacher of the first one. I think that that complicated note to it, where it's, like, you know, a million, like, dominoes knocking down other dominoes, I find that really compelling. Yeah, it does kind of satisfy that. I feel like it's Final Destination is, like, almost, like, a children's franchise in some way. Does that sound sick and twisted? But it's, like... It really scratches the itch of, like, unknowable death and the... Yeah, I, that's true. Children are quite preoccupied with death. At least I was, and I was constantly I thinking about was, it. Yeah. Maybe it's just a specific kind yeah. of person. <laughs> but I really was. And so Final Destination was quite, like, cathartic because it so boldly registers it in plain language. And watching, like, the satisfying pieces of the Rube Goldberg machine, like, clicking into place to provide that instant death... It does kind of, like, scratch that, like, autistic baby itch. (laughs) I do think, too, like, one of the things I find the most dull Mm -hmm. in, like, a horror movie is when there's, like, a really, like, a too well-defined enemy. Mm. Um, Like, where it's, like, this is how we defeat Freddy Krueger every time. Because, like, I love Nightmare on Elm Street, but, like, you know, the, the idea of, like, he has these weaknesses and, like, you know, we have this really defined specific enemy... That can get, like, really grating. Sure. And I think with Nightmare Elm Street, they obviously turned that around by making him, like, the one you root for. Mm. But with Final Destination, I like that there's no concrete enemy. Like, I, the only enemy is, like, death. And that's, like, so accidentally profound of, like, wow, we're only against death. Like... Yeah. Because... That's, th- like, big, like you know, galaxy brain. Like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is really incidentally one of the most, like, philosophically compelling yeah, exactly. horror franchises. Well, purely by accident, every Purely time. by accident. Because if I recall correctly, the origin of the series was that it was, like, written as, like, a pilot or as, like, a pitch for, like, Twilight Zone or something, like, really simple. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and so the idea... They didn't really imagine adapting it into film for a long time. And you can tell by, like, the kind of, like, teeny bopper slasher quality of the early ones and then, like, the generic, like, iron, irony tone of the later ones that it really did just kind of move with the breeze of culture and never really had, like, a firm artistic grip on a concept. Yeah. But the initial idea is so rich and, like, primordially terrifying that... Almost by accident, all of these films do really inspire a unique sense of dread. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about like, them being, like, like teeny bopper movies. They mm. totally are, with, like, the the cast and, um... Because, what, the first one's, like, 2000, so that's four years after Scream. Mm-hmm. Where everyone was like, oh, now we have to make funny teeny bopper horror movies. And it's not funny. I mean, it's the kind first, of funny. The first one's really not that funny, though. But the first one and the, and the second one are, like, not jokey movies. Yeah, the first two are very, very serious. Yeah. And that's why... I, I think three really succeeds at being the teeny bopper horror movie. I completely agree. And I think that that's also why I want to say, like, that this is, like, children's cinema is because... I see what you mean. It's, it's like, teen horror movies. Yeah. Because it's, like, when you're a teenager and you're encountering puberty for the first time and then you're reconciling with your sexual body and it's, like, change... With, like, the death of your youth, you're also, like, finally, for the first time, cognizant of your own mortality. Yeah. And it's really ineffable and terrifying, and there's, like, no way to, like, make it into words. So, the cultural exorcism is Final Destination. I think that's so true. And also, like, as a teenager, at least for me, like, Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to die, like, all the time. Me too. Like, Like, everything is, like, the first thing that you're doing, everything feels so horrible, and you're, like... Am I even going to make it out of, like, high school alive? Like, even if those fears are, like, unfounded in reality, the fears are real. Mm-hmm. And so I think for, like, a, a wide swath of teenagers, it's kind of like, oh my god, death is, like, actually a very prescient concept. Yeah, and I've been really hung up on death recently and about, like, deriving meaning from life when, like, the unknowable void potentially waits. Yeah. And these movies are so compelling because they capitalize on that precise fear and then don't give you an answer or optimism or hope 
There, there's no hope. No one has ever got out of a Final Station movie. They always close the loop and everyone always dies. Which is, in some way, like, how can you maintain, like, dramatic suspense in that kind of right. situation? I think if they ever make a six, they're going to have to do something really different. Because, as we've just seen, we just watched three and five together. Mm-hmm. And, like, even people who are, like, barely in the narrative get, like, crushed by falling landing gear at the end. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, there's... You're right. It's very like cynical. Like there's no there's no way out of death, but there is no way out of death. Yeah, like, I mean no it's one gets real. To, no one gets to live forever. So in that sense, it's very real. But and that's kind of something I find in fiction is that like when narratives end, there's like an implied infinity after it. When you finish a book and the character has not perished at the end, or there are still supporting characters around, you have the ability to imagine, you know, whatever comes of them in the future. But Final Destination closes the door completely and is very intense on reminding you of one's own mortality. Yeah. That I think is what gets... Because I was saying uh, earlier when we were watching it that, like, the only time I really feel bad is the end of 3 when, um, you know, Wendy gets to go to New York for college Mm -hmm. and she gets, like, have a bit of, like, a new life outside of her, like, hometown where all of her friends died. Yeah. And then she dies, of course, because the death comes back for her. But I was like, that's the only one where I really feel bad for, like, the, the main character, where I'm like, I think it's because, you're like, it's shutting the door in Infinity. Right. Like, you want to imagine Wendy getting a happy ever after. And going to university. Yeah, and exactly. Like, and, like, throwing mm-hmm. off her trauma. But she just doesn't get that. Absolutely. And the other thing I, I think about a lot with these is that, like you said, there's a very, like, small amount of emotional involvement. Even in the early ones, like... You don't empathize or, like, feel like these characters. They're not relatable. They're not, like, really human. And so sometimes the effect of the movies can be, like, quite vicious and cold. I think the first two are... Because you care about Alex and Claire. Mm -hmm. I care about... Yeah, I care about her. And, like, especially when Claire is back in the second one. um, Because they wanted to make her, like, a through line. Right. They wanted her to be, like, the Tony Todd. But she was like, no, thank you. I have I have to go be in um, Resident in Evil. Resident Evil Afterlife. Yeah, as Claire Redfield, uh, star turn for her. <laughs> but like, well, I love Ali Larder. Me too. I love her so much. I liked her as a child, and like she was in Heroes, mm-hmm. and I really liked her character in Heroes. She was a cheerleader, right? No, no, that was oh. Hayden Pantier. She <laughs> was the one with the stripper with two personalities. Oh, great! But she's not a good actress. <laughs> no, she's such a bad actress, and I can say I can I can own that about her because I really like her, but. But I think it would have been fun if she were in all of them, cause just because I like her and I like Claire a lot as a character. But once she, like, dies, you don't really have anyone to, like, attach to. I guess you should... People don't roll over, so you can't, like, uh-huh. feel anything about them. No, the, these movies all exist in a vacuum. The characters die. You don't feel about them. You know what's going to happen to them. And then it's kind of a strange spectacle that unfolds. But basically, to, we haven't even summarized what it is. I imagine people know... I think if they're listening to this episode, they probably know. Final they probably know. But Final Destination, in short, is a film franchise about a group of young characters, ranging from teenagers to younger college graduates, about. Yeah. And they all experience um, some sort of large cataclysmic event, like a plane crash or a car accident, a uh, road pileup. Roller coaster accident, bridge collapse, or um, disaster at the motor speedway. One character experiences a premonition, and from thereafter, death claims them one by one. Uh, death usually manifests as flickering lights, and the wind, <laughs> and a reoccurring song. And there is like a really trashy element to all of these, don't you yeah. think? They're they're all very the uh, red box the red box hue <laughs> on these movies. I think especially after, like, two, because they really established the formula in the second one. Mm-hmm. I think after, like, the second one, they're all very formulaic, where it's just like, all right, opening disaster, young person... Because, like, the the focal character, the premonition character is never that old. Right. Like, young person to have a premonition, um, and then, like, all right, knock them all off in order, and maybe there's some kind of small twist that complicates that. Like, mm. in two, it goes in reverse order. Um, as we've established in three, if you, like save someone, it skips them. But we established on the first one, actually. Right. Um, and then, like, in the fifth one, they're like, you can also kill someone! And, then, and then we're not going to do much with that. And it, it's a, it's 
That's why the fifth one bores me so much, because the, the fact that the final conflict is between characters fighting each other... It avoids... It, it misses like, the where, point. like, where's death? Yeah. Yeah, and I thought about that a lot when we were watching it tonight, too, because... Is that right? Should we be doing that? Yeah, it's okay. fine. Are you talking about that big audio yeah, yeah. spike over there? That's whenever we laugh or make a especially okay, loud great. noise, awesome. and it will be rendered, okay? Okay. <laughs> Although we do have screaming gay voices, which is a fun audio effect on a podcast forum, um, yeah, these, like, the kind of, like, trash Redbox DVD rental layer to me makes these, like, even more effective because I feel like everyone sees these or, like, sees um, clips of them or, like, can cite the deaths from them. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of all-encompassing for Americans that people have some degree of exposure to these. And I was always, like, wondering, like, why that is because... I know plenty of people who don't know who Michael My- My- Myers is. I don't know anything about Friday the 13th, but can, like, recite precise death scenes from Final Destination yeah. 3. How did that happen? Well, I think, like you were saying earlier, a lot of them do, um... They play upon, like, common fears. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, everyone's afraid of dying in a roller coaster. Or not everyone, but, like... You have the, to the be... Ambient. A, the whole point of the roller coaster is you're a little bit afraid of dying on it. Right. Um, and, like, so many of them... We're also... I think as Americans, we're obsessed with, like, freak deaths. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, I had a book when I was in high school about every single person who's exactly. ever died in the Grand Canyon. Exactly, and there's, like, tons of those, like, books and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, like, the idea of, like, having a really unusual, bizarre death is, like, very fascinating. Mm. And these are, that's, that's, you know, 90 minutes of that, the movie. <laughs> It preys on American uh, death drive because Americans, I think, do in particular have like a unique fascination with a freak or special death. Yeah. Um, like in Japanese culture, people often think about self-determining your the end of your oh, life yeah, or yeah, something like that. True. But there's no like glamour of, around like some sort of like freak accident or I something. Think it's harder to have a freak accident in countries that have more safety mm. cultures and more safety regulations. Like but, it's totally believable that an American roller coaster would fall apart and kill absolutely. you. Absolutely. Or that they, we uh, all think those are poorly managed. You can't imagine a road pile up in Japan for some reason. I can't imagine a like a a ride like falling apart no completely, you know what I, mean? I cannot but it is easy to imagine it's because the United States is an uncanny frontier of like only 70% developed imagery. Yeah. So basically everything in the country is aesthetically and culturally just like kind of already decayed in some way. And so it makes sense that you want to run directly into that whirlpool and like let it rip you apart violently. Yeah. Because something about the death scenes in these are that they are horrifying and uncomfortable. And I winced many times watching oh, yeah. these with you tonight. But they are like kinetic and exciting and like rewarding. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they do. I mean, one thing these movies do so so well is like the suspense of like the scene. Mm-hmm. They're really good, like putting in, like red herrings and stuff. We didn't watch the fourth one, but like the one where she gets the rock through her eye. Right. They they set up all this shit in the beauty salon that like doesn't happen, and then as she's walking out, she gets hit with like a rock. With a rock. But it's like you know they're really good at like. I don't want to say edging you, but they're really good at, like, no, yeah. edging you up to the the climax of the kill. But I think, actually, you're completely right to identify it sexually. Like, it, well, it, it, is, it is kind of like that. We're, like... Because death is sexual. Because we get... We, we were into watching get pleasure from it. Yeah. Like, we were talking, as we were watching the fifth one, about... The first three are very much about, in addition to, like, being about the inevitability of death, they're also very much about, like, survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, we really care about, like... Alex in the first one, um, certainly clear in the second one where she has like extra super survivor's guilt. Right. Um, you know, we care about Wendy because, um, shout out to because Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, shout out to Mary Elizabeth Winstead who sells that role. It makes Wendy the only focal character you really care about. Mm-hmm. But we really believe her that she's like fucked up after all her friends dying. Right. But then, and that she feels responsible for the accident, but the fourth and fifth one completely switched that. Yeah. And they make them all, like, unlikable caricatures. There's, like, a white supremacist in the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an asshole, you know, implied racist factory worker in the fifth one. And, like, you know, you're meant to... And, oh, there's the fat pervert guy also in the fifth <laughs> one. And you're meant to be like, fuck that dude, I want him to die right away. Mm-hmm. Like The Saw movies kind of ended up doing the same thing, too, where it became, like... That makes sense. It became, like, cultural cannon fodder for, like, the archetypes and things that we don't like in culture and, like, watching them get publicly executed in some, like, strange, like, Foucault abstraction. And I'm not here for that. Like, I'm not really 
excited about like watching violent, torturous public executions on film. I would much prefer it happened in real life. Like, I feel, <laughs> well, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, because like, if we watch it in real life, that would be meaningful. But when you watch it on film, it becomes like strange, like jerk off fodder, and it well, it's I, I kind of sad. That, that's that like post hostile, like turn to like the horror movie as like an endurance mm-hmm. endurance um, test, I guess. And it's so funny because like so I don't many, think Found Station plays into that. No, because like so many French movies play into the endurance test. Like we like both Martyrs. watched Martyrs for sure, um, and then Irreversible, which we watched. Oh together. yeah, I mean, but that ends with like a message of like glimmering hope. Like time destroys all things, and there is like beauty on earth. Yeah. And and also the actual scene is not that long, right? <laughs> but then in Final Destination, like, like you know, I think some like the I actually recently saw Hostel, and I was like, this is terrible. I've heard a lot of good things about it recently. Oh, really? Because they say that it's like, um, like a, a pastiche and parody of, uh, like American presence in other cultures in the early 2000s. I see and that. It's like, I a, think... like a ridiculing, I... violent thing about that. I've never I can, seen it, so I, I can don't know. S- no, I can see that about it. I just, like, you know, the idea of, like, just watching it takes endurance. Eli Roth just kind of, like, disgusts me. Yeah. I, the Green Inferno is one of the grossest, did most do, nihilistic did you the movies. Did Cabin Fever? Yeah. I watched that as, like, a child, first That movie's gross as fuck. Should not have... One of the few movies where I think I shouldn't have watched it that age, because <laughs> I was watching horror movies from very, very young. He's very cynical. But, like, yeah, my father hated Cabin Fever. He was like, I wish I hadn't shown you that. Because it's just... It's so, like, cynical and mean and gross. Yeah. It, all of those things. And, like, Final Destination is actually not gross, or, like... It's not trying to inflict pain on the audience. Because no. I think Hostel and, like, Eli Roth, they want you to suffer. I think and so. And squirm. And Final Destination wants you to cheer. They want you to be like, whoa! Okay, I'm thinking a lot about this now, because I do like being inflicted with squirm sensation, and I really like when a movie can do that to me. And it is sometimes a negative quality, I think, of the Final Destination movies, that they want you to cheer. No, I, I definitely think that the fact that they shift more and more into that with every passing installation is not good. It is... A really bizarre thing to imagine in the 21st century that we are flocking to movie theaters. All of these did really well. Yeah, I was surprised the fifth one did well. Yeah, the fifth one made a hundred. I, I think I can remember the statistic. It made 140 million dollars on a 40 million budget. Yeah, I think you said something like that. Which is pretty incredible. And it's like people are flocking to the theater to watch like the ritual massacre of young people that you feel lightly disgusted by and can like root your hand in the air like you mentioned the death of the white supremacist who has a very prolonged oh yeah it's like dragged along the back of a car on fire exactly it's like the most literal thing you could like do to someone like that yeah oh yeah as he's trying to set up a burning cross on someone's lawn he catches fire gets dragged behind his car and i think that the idea of, like, executing people for their racism or their discrimination or their political beliefs and having it be, like, a cheer moment is kind of a scary, weird... I mean, obviously, I, I I'm think, not here for cross-burning. Well, no, but, but I mean, like, I think Foundation only takes that stand by accident. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's only because cross-burning has become so unanimously unpopular right. that they feel comfortable taking that stance. But, like... They have no political point to make, you know. No, I mean? they don't. And it's they... all just about like populism. And I hope it never ever makes a point. No, I don't point. think they could possibly. If they try scary boots. Imagine like you know like the woke Heathers. Yeah. Imagine like woke final destination. <laughs> woke final destination. Let's go, girl. Oh I, my God. I, at this point I'd like to see it almost. Like I wanna I wanna know how they're gonna do it. I'd that. like them to do another one now. It's been uh um, It's been twelve years. Yeah, I was gonna say because the Last one was 2011. The fifth one was for 2011, yeah. Yeah, so it's been 12 That's years. That's a lot for when you think of the first one as 2000. I mean, that and like, Friday the Like, they cranked it thir- one, like, two years. I know. two years, I mean. That and Friday the 13th are the dead franchises that we have right now. Yeah. Everything oh, else yeah, yeah, has yeah. been, like, resuscitated and, like, made again, but I... I was like, didn't they just do that, but I was thinking of Halloween. Halloween got redid to uh, mixed results. They've redone <laughs> it, like... So many times. And the franchise, before they rebooted it, they had done it... I There'd been two resets already. Yeah. And the Z- Rob Zombie remake, so... Yeah, yeah. I recently just watched up until the, s- the fifth one of them. Very good, but... Well, that's the beauty of Final Destination, that you can... As long as you pay lip service to the idea of, like... There was this one time this plane flew to <laughs> France and it didn't make it, like... As long as you acknowledge somewhat briefly, like, the previous disasters, mm-hmm. you can do anything with it. There's no continuity to follow. You I, could ma- I could make one tomorrow. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We could write one right now. <laughs> Easily. 
Probably better than the ones who be the did people ever, who wrote this in the last one. Did I ever do oh, that? I don't did think you I ever did. do. That you read fun. you read the Final Destination novelizations, and I'm very curious <laughs> about this. How, what the hell is going on in that Those world? Those are really, really badly written. But you I, loved that. Either of us could easily do better. Well, when I was in high school, I really liked them because it was just more Final Destination. Yeah. Um, and I wanted, you know, I was like, I need more. But I don't think I ever wrote a fan fiction of it. That would be so fucked up. Can you imagine if I was like, Final Destination fan fiction? I mean, I'm already disturbed I enough that I, I was I in... think I did look for it, though. I think I've read other people's. I'm sure it exists. Because I was never, ever a fan fiction person. But I do think for Final Destination, I was like, I'm going to go look up. I just needed, like, more of it. I, I need like, more so... clear. <laughs> but it's like, so, in that sense, it's very addictive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm. I love Scream, but, like, I would never, ever be, like, time to read, like, scream adjacent novelizations like that would never happen but there is an addictive quality because like i said like there is no there's nothing else that's like quite as cathartic as like seeing that death drive so painfully literalized it basically is like cutting to the core of what every horror movie is because every horror movie is about the fear of death right everything that's what horror is horror is reconciling with your own annihilation and so to see a movie that doesn't even have an antagonist like that is it, it is really deeply compelling. Yeah, and it scratches and it's like at it's you. like an unbeatable protagonist, or sorry, antagonist too, of like the um, I think the th- the drive that like makes people come back to this like again and again is like mm-hmm. so that catharsis, and I think also they've they were made in, over enough of a window that I think it like got at least one subsequent generation. Like yeah. with the fourth one, I think they were trying to like I think that's their reboot kind of. Is yeah, the fourth one they were like. All right, new new young kids like let's get them into the franchise. So I think it's very easy to like cyclically suck generations back up into it easily because it is a universal human concept to be you know pulverized in the face of your own mortality. Mm. Unlike and Michael we Myers, also, or... we could also always die in like an accident. Yeah, you know what I mean, That's any day. I think the scariest one is the opening disaster to the second one. I completely it's, agree. It's just a car accident on the highway, and that happens all the time. And yeah. I'm from Massachusetts, where we have one of the top five deadliest highways in the whole country, mm-hmm. uh, Route 24, Death Valley. That I was like, this could be on Route 24. This could happen to me like tomorrow when I was in high school in Massachusetts watching Have it. you ever been in a car crash? I have actually not been in a car crash. I have Thank not God. either. Thank God. Yeah, because that opening sequence in Final... Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy 2. <laughs> the, the opening car crash in Final Destination 2 is actually one of the most disturbing things it, ever created by mankind. It's terrifying because, like, what other movie would they just give you, like, a 15-minute in-depth car it's crash? It's, like, literally 15 minutes long, yeah. and it slows down. It goes into every single perspective on this pileup, and all of it is uncomfortable and disturbing, and it's, like... Something about cars and highways implies, like, the general, like, I don't know, entropy of humanity, because, like, that's, like, every single person is in their own vehicle piloting for their own means, and everyone has to, like, literalize and physicalize, like, their coexistence with each other by not killing each other with giant metal monsters. And you can't, like, not go on the highway. If you're in America, you have to fucking drive. Like, a lot of my friends in high school, like had, like, worked themselves up to driving the highway because we have really bad highways in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. But but they had to, because it's like, you can't go anywhere more than two towns away if you don't get in the highway. I was so afraid of driving. Yeah. Were you? I can't drive. You can't? I did kind of learn, but I have, as you know, I have very diminished vision in one eye. Mm-hmm. So driving for me was really scary, because I couldn't judge distances. Driving is scary. I think, I don't know. No, I don't think I could ever do it. I don't think I could ever go back and, like, drive. Oh, God. When I was back in America, my mom was like, do you want to drive? I was like, oh, fuck no. I haven't been in a car in four years. My mother would not do that because she doesn't want to die. No, she, I think she was testing me, (laughs) to be honest. But, like, like I said, like, when you are operating giant metal monsters on the highway, it's like, you do have to either, like, take the Nietzschean will and be like, I will drive the car, or you won't, but... Uh, Final Destination 2 really crystallizes, like, the entropy of the universe and the senseless chaos that can just completely slay you at any moment. I think senseless chaos is a really good phrase. Because, like, so much of it... I was saying to you earlier, I really like the scene in the first one Mm -hmm. when they're getting on the plane. Yeah. And they see, like, a disabled person and, like, infants. And they're like, it'd be really fucked up God to bring down this plane. Then it happens. Yeah. Um... And it's like, you know, that's obviously like quite cynical, but it's also like the idea that there's no God in this universe. 
Right. Like, it's certainly not in the Final Destination universe, but, like, as by extension, our universe, like, there's no god looking out for you, and, like, senseless chaos can happen at any time. Not because, like, in Saw, uh, because you deserve it or don't deserve it, mm-hmm. or because you've done something to, in, you know, bring this upon you. In the first, like, three especially, I think it's really senseless in that sense. It is senseless. The fifth and sixth ones, like, they become more vindictive, but I do think they start, like, trying to be like, they're bad people. But the first three are not like that at all. It's no, like no. They're, they're fine people who die anyway because that's what happens. They're all, they're all like, you know, I said earlier that you can't really empathize with them, and it's because they're, like, thinly written and, like, well, not... yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. you have to get through seven of them in, like, nine Exactly. But the thing is, is that they, they do feel like, you know complicated little people in some way or another and it's like after in four and five they don't but like in three like even like the bimbos and stuff like they are shown to be like generally yeah good people yeah because like no one like hates them no they're not like the plastics or the heathers they have a scene where they're really nice to wendy yeah and and they still die i want to talk about that scene there's a scene in three after the big roller coaster premonition and Two of the bimbos are trying to comfort the protagonist. Who is, like, fucked up walking in the rain with no umbrella. She's, like, a sad puppy in the rain. Everyone in her school is signing their yearbooks, and she's, like, walking by, like, half-drowned. Because her boyfriend is dead. We both laughed out loud when, like, Mary Elizabeth Winstead was marching through the rain in the cakey makeup and just, like, ruined. And they run up to her, and they say, Oh, Wendy, do you want to go tanning with us and we can talk? And that was the most touching thing I've I, ever seen. I think that was actually, like... I think they they are good at giving, like, small moments to some of the characters where you get to, like, see, like imagine, like you said, imagine, like, an inner life for them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, these two aren't, like, bitches. They're, like... And, like, when they're... They have a long scene where they're talking to each other in the tanning place because they have to establish that the... They're um, given so much interiority, actually. It's they have wild. To, they have to establish that the guy working there is, like not going to be there to, like, save them. Yeah. So they have to have a long scene establishing he's, like, going outside on the phone. And, like, them talking to each other, I was like, oh, they're, like, such good friends. Like, I don't know, that one... That one... Because it's one of the most vicious deaths, I think it really gets to me. Oh, that one Cause really it's, like, they're actually kind of sweet, and then they, like, burn alive horribly. That to, is the greatest match cut in existence, though. Yeah, to contextualize the death, what happens is that the two sweet bimbos who are nice to Wendy look good, are sexualized constantly, and are only mildly irritated by it. They never whine. They never cry. They're never, like... They're never, like antagonistic forces. They are like angels, to be honest. And then they go to tan so that they can look good at the funeral and the graduation ceremony and like be a pleasant aesthetic force in the world, which I find to be very touching. And then they get fucking fried in a tanner. And then I can't... I don't know what it is about that scene. It is so disturbing. It, well, it's really long. Like, I think a lot of the Final Destination deaths especially are about like surprising the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, when the boss gets hit with the wrench... In five. In five. Yeah. Just, like... Just, bam, out of nowhere. Because it's meant to be shocking. Yeah. And, like, we don't get a build-up for that. Like, we just see the wrench, like, fall on, like... What even? On the conveyor belt? What the fuck? And he just (laughs) takes it to, like, the face. Because they're trying to shock you. But, um... Theirs has, like, won a lot of build-up, and then the actual death takes a long time, yeah. which is kind of rare for this franchise. And the glass explodes, and it shows them trying to touch the ceiling of the tanning bed and burning and like their... Get, yeah, because they get, like, horribly burned, and then they then they catch on fire. For the first time tonight, I noticed when one of them is, like, trying to push up on it that she gets this huge oh, welting. I that, yeah. yeah, I had never seen that before, and it really distressed me. Well, it's so shocking because, like, so much of it is in blue light. Yes. Where, like, the blood doesn't really look like anything. But at the very end, when they're trying to stick their hands out, we can see all the SFX makeup that's, like, really burned and gross. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that, that time... This, I noticed, like, that was really shocking. Yeah, it was really shocking. Like, the switch from the, the blue color grading where the it fades out. I wonder if they had to do that for, like, censorship. Because um, <laughs> I was like, this this blue color grading feels like post, but, um... I was... <laughs> but post by Bjork? No, like, post-editing. Oh! Like, I was like, I feel like it, this is not how this was, like, filmed. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, um, I was wondering if they had, like, maybe... They were like, we're gonna give you a bad rating. This is gonna be an R movie if you don't... It was R, though. Oh, was it? Okay, well... I think they're all But they always, they always threaten R movies at being NC-17. That's right. But anyway, I like, when they stuck their hands out, and you could really see all the SFX mm-hmm. makeup, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's disturbing. And it's because they're so angelic, and, like, even... They're, like, hot, 
appealing. You get to see their tits in a way that is... Oh, yeah, I forgot they both... <laughs> they have their tits out. But something I found about that is, like, yeah, it is, like, sexualizing. But it lends to their sweetness and makes them fuller people to me. Is that a, sh- is that a shocking well, thing to that, say? No, that was the thing is, like, you know, I can't tell if it's just that, like, we're both gay and we think that, like, they're, like, fierce. <laughs> like, I don't know if, like, the straight teeny bopper is meant to, like hate them or whatever or like you know as an angry straight man are you meant to like be mad at them for being unavailable i could never hate them they're so angelic to me like, but like i don't think they get it would be really easy to give them like a a bitchy scene absolutely because they do it for everyone else but like the fact that they didn't give them any like really nasty bitchy scenes is like made them made me really like them while we're on the topic of three we should talk about mary elizabeth winstead a little bit icon I have been obsessed with her for, like, 15 years. I fell in love with her because of this movie, and I have deeply followed her acting career, and I will see anything she's in in the theater, including those horrible DC movies they shoveled her into. Oh, I didn't know she was in any of them. She was in one of the Birds of Prey movies. Oh, she was in uh, Kate. Did you see Kate? I thought Kate? Kate was bad. Kate was not great. I, it was worth watching it for her, because she was good. I rented a DVD off of Netflix DVD rental services to see Smashed, a movie where she plays an alcoholic, and it's fabulous. Oh, I want to see that. It's great. And she's in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes, that I like. Fucking brilliant. I've seen all of her horror stuff. Yeah, she's a real screen queen, and in this role, it was one of her very early roles. Yeah. So she took it, like, high art, and she acted the fuck out of it. That's what makes three my favorite, because I think she really, like... She's the emotional center of this movie in a way that no one else is the emotional center of any of the other movies. Absolutely. Even though I think Devin Sawa is a good actor. Mm-hmm. I think Ali Lauder is young and hot enough in Fine Destination that she doesn't need to be a good actor. She's fierce. <laughs> um, like, I love Clear. I still love Clear mm-hmm. so much. But, um... Ale- like, Alex... <laughs> Alex and Clear kind of lose their minds. Yeah. Like, you know, when we see Wendy at the end five months later and she's, like, kind of adjusting to college... You can see that she's, like, a little broken. Yeah, You can, like, like, see that she's, like, a little touched by death, but she's trying. But, like, Alex and Claire could have never gone to college. Like, they both... It's established that they, like... They locked themselves in a room, basically. Um, Am I clipping? Yeah, we're fine. Okay. Um, They've established that they locked themselves in a room, basically, between the first and second movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Like... They're, they're like, too traumatized by the end. But, like, when she has that real, like, triumph at the end where she's like, I made it to New York. And, like, you you believe her with her, like, survivor's guilt and stuff um, in a way that, like, you know, only in the first movie is anyone else, even remotely, that believable. And I think it's because she takes, like, all the dramatic scenes she takes so seriously. And, like, all of, like, you know... The scene where Wendy's talking to, like, her sister, and she's like, I'm not okay. That was really hard to watch, actually. It really upset me, because I remember when I had a, a family friend die, like, very violently, that, like, when I had to talk to my mom, like, it, you know, there's just that moment where, like, oh, oh, my God, like, I'm not okay, like, I don't know what's happening to me, and it was so, like, thoroughly realized, and... Atop of her very emotional performance, there's just something about the way she looks. Like, she's got that, like, the the crop bob. Oh, yeah. And she's, like... She has, like... She's very beautiful to me, but she's not... I think con- she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous, but she's not conventionally hot. Isn't she? I feel like she is. I don't think she is. And she's... Because she's not, like, sexualized that way either. That's true. But she... Oh, she's also, um, fucking in Scott Pilgrim. I forgot about that. Oh, how could we have forgotten about that? <laughs> she's, I think she's really cute in that movie too and she's very cute but there's like something a little unconventional about her which makes it easy for me to like slip into relating with her and I don't know I'm so riveted by Mary Elizabeth Winstead I really need her to get like a star turn like I need her I, to... I really need that also she I thought a, why I thought it, anyone cast her she's I thought, so well, I thought Kate would be more like that but unfortunately Kate was not very good doesn't that also take place like in Japan it does take place they filmed it in Japan well don't do that The um, <laughs> our videographer who you know worked on it I mean, he didn't, like, meet her. Okay, anything, I, I can't say anything. Okay, okay. I, just, I just, I really didn't like that movie. No, I didn't like it at all. He didn't okay. like it. Oh, that's good, okay. He was like, he didn't write it. I know, I, I would feel bad. I don't want to, like, insult anyone on their, the, the hard work that they do, but... No, he insults all the movies he works on. I basically hate every single Western movie made here. It was, it was very that. It's very that. Tokyo Vice fucking reeks oh, of it. That. I only watched... Oh, well, that guy is a fucking moron. Not to go on a tangent about uh-huh. the guy who wrote oh, Tokyo no, Vice. No, but, but he's a fucking moron. His whole book is, like, fake also. But yeah, anyway. I no, know. I think she's a really compelling actress. And that, like... 
I, I like that she. I've seen issues with her. I like that she likes being a scream queen. I know. And she accepts it. She's like, yeah, I love horror movies. And I love doing this. I really like that about her. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I love you, girl. Come on the show. I know. Go get her on the podcast. <laughs> Even though I called you an unconventional beauty, I swear I don't mean offense. Pod, yeah. Deep friend of the pod, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, seven layers removed. No, but like, yeah, she she's such an emotional core of that movie. And it's funny because actually the inciting incident of that movie, which is the roller coaster, is outside of the fucking fourth movie, Speed Race one. It's it's the second worst in the movie, in my opinion. Of the opening disaster? No, yeah. I think the bridge is worse. The bridge is way better. The bridge is so stupid. Oh no, girl. You're so wrong about that. Because like the bridge has like people having actual scary violent deaths. Oh, I do think the swinging um the when the, the like, chain. support the support beam boost and swing. Mm-hmm. That was good. And the the tar um, the tower is pretty sick. The body that topples down hits the concrete and then goes into the water. <laughs> the the roller coaster one for me is very not very. That one's quite quick actually. I forgot how cor- fast it's, it was. It's not very corporeal. There's not like a lot of yeah. like. The only thing that shocked me in that is when the boy next to Miss Wendy Mary Elizabeth Winston oh, stands up and gets cut in half. Gets cut yeah. in half. That shook me, and everything else was like whatever. I think they are also trying to do more. Um, they were trying to have some mystery about the order. Hmm. Because they had done the original <laughs> order thing in the first Girl, one. they were trying to do some mischief. Oh my god. <laughs> no, because like in the You've first... been waiting your whole life to make oh that god. <laughs> The first one, they were like, you know, you're, you're finding out everything for the first time. Mm-hmm. The second one, they go in reverse. Right. And like this one, because it's like, all right, either they're going to go in reverse or not go in reverse. Right. So the, the hand has already been shown to the audience. So mm-hmm. I think they were trying to, with the, the roller coaster being kind of quick and like, Aaron and Ian falling off at the same time, not knowing that Julie was on it until the very end. Right. They were trying to keep some mystery about who was going to die next. It loses some impact, but that's fine. The movie is the is my favorite in the franchise. Oh, definitely. For sure. Be- all because of Mew, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, some other things that stick out to me in this franchise quite a bit, the gymnastics death in the, oh, in the most recent movie. Uh, this is the the perfect Final Destination kill to me, where it is about seven different things happening at once that you do not know how they could lead to some disaster, and it leads to such anxiety and stress. Um, th- another one for me is the first one with the shower strangulation. Oh, yeah. Those have the same effect to me, where you don't really understand what's about to happen, and it feels so milk toast that you just can't imagine, and the end result is so horrific that you... it's. It is pulverizing when you watch it. I think the um, I think you're about the gymnastics death being like a good encapsulation of all the things that Foundation mm-hmm. like does right, of like this long suspense scene, and like also something that's like inherently kind of dangerous, but like something that a lot of people do all the time. Right. Like I think Olivia even says later, like, you know, t- oh, oh, Peter Oli- says it. Peter says like she did this every day for fifteen years, but Olivia's like, have you seen the crazy shit they do? Like, mm-hmm. I think it it's. The deaths are always in tension between those two viewpoints. That's of like something a lot right. of people do all the time, but still has some like inherent danger that we haven't reckoned with, like tanning, Go, tanning, taking a shower, driving a car, taking an airplane flight, yeah. and then the ones that don't work for me so well, acupuncture. That was so stupid. That one was disappointing. That was getting really crushed dumb. by a Buddha because it's like the whole point of these movies is that it's like supposed to capitalize on like something that could happen to you or someone you know. Yeah. I'm not really worried about any of my friends' heads getting crushed by Buddha. You should be worried about me. Yeah, I would be worried about you. Cause like, <laughs> the only person that could conceivably happen to. Yeah, like, looking at my house now, I could imagine that, like, a fire could get started in here. Or, oh, like, yeah. um, one of my... Bubonic plague. The bubonic plague. Syphilis. Well, we are, I mean, we live in Japan. Earthquakes. You told me, actually, that in one of the novelizations of Final Destination that it ends with a shock reveal of someone oh, getting yeah. HIV. <laughs> So in um, the novel Final Destination, Dead Man's Hand, I think it is, <laughs> there's one where like there's a big elevator, I think they're in Vegas or something, and there's a big elevator in this like hotel or casino called like Merlin's Tower, uh-huh. which sounds very Vegas, and it like falls and kills a bunch of people, but this one girl like has a premonition and, you know, it's very easy to get people out of an elevator so they don't take the elevator. Right. Um, and, like, yeah, at the end, there's, like, a climax where, like, a police officer dies in, like, a vehicle accident, um, and, like, it, like, gets hit by a car in front of them, basically. And they get, like, they get splattered with his blood. Right. But it was the same kind of thing where it's, like, you know, you, 
you um where death skips you and like mm-hmm. so kills someone else instead so she was like oh my god i've skipped death woo or you know death has skipped me or whatever and then she finds out the police officer had hiv <laughs> and it like ends with like the the idea that she's gonna get like aids and die and I, that's so like Again, this is not slang I usually use, but that's so out of pocket. Like, <laughs> I'm like, the audacity to do this. In the mid-2000s. Yeah. There is, like, this weird... I noticed this when you were watching 3 in particular today. There is, like, this, like, weird cultural reconciliation going on where, like, mass disaster and terrorism keeps, like, rearing its ugly head. Like, yeah. um, when Wendy, as played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I'm going to say her name every time when she is going through her paranoia crisis about whether or not this, like, death cycle is happening to them, she starts going on this, like, manic internet binge session, and she, like, prints out photos of 9-11 and presents them. And when I read that this movie was made... 9-11, like, conspiracy theories, too. Yeah. When I read that this movie was made in 2005 and, like, fucking, you know, released in 2006, I was like, that's crazy but this is the only franchise i feel like that has license to like meddle in yeah. those mass death rituals if if 9 had happened a year earlier they couldn't have even made this franchise no imagine the first one coming out with a plane yeah the, i don't think and then he gets investigated for like maybe having um because they put him in, like a room and interrogate him about bringing the plane down yeah it has like the same like, instinct. You, you couldn't do that in 2001 like they were lucky they got in like right before that it has like the same instinct as a uh, brett easton ellis's glamorama which also is like a plane crash terrorism celebrity nightmare thing and it's like i'm so glad that these movies like got out then yeah. or else we would have never had it yeah because like, like you couldn't have done that and like you couldn't have proposed the first movie at any point after I like no that not definitely not with a fucking plane no they would have had to like start with the second one or something what do you think about that first plane crash because that's like kind of one of the defining images of the oh, whole yeah. franchise I think it's an be fear of plane crashes I was saying to you earlier I in high school took a Europe trip where mm-hmm. we made I, I'm from Boston so you think I'd leave from Boston but we left from New York to Paris and it was the same exact, like, flight route as in Final Destination. So the night before I left, I watched it. And my mother refused to watch it with me or let me use the TV. And I had to watch it on, on her laptop, because I didn't have a laptop then. <laughs> I had to watch it on her computer, because she, she was too freaked out about me going on a plane the next day to watch a movie about a plane crash. Mm. And I obviously reveled in it, because I'm a horrible person. But I do think that um, the plane crash is so iconic, because, like, you don't do it often enough to get used to it, a lot right. of people. And it's, but it's like a pervasive fear and they do crash. So like, you know, yeah, it's also a fear that's not irrational. We're in, well, in like a final destination three, they make that statement over and over again, that, um, ignorance and like fear is like a submission to a lack of control. It's like giving it up and getting in a plane is inherently trusting your life with someone else in a really kind of phantasmal and bizarre experience. Like, the idea that a bunch of, like, meat pocket humans are, like, getting shoveled into a big tin can and then jetting across the yeah. ocean is, like, pretty wild. And so it does kind of hit that nerve. And I remember the thing that always scares me the most is when that one row of seats, like, comically gets, like, sucked out oh, yeah. of the side. That's... I don't want to say real in that, like, you know, that's obviously a very dramatic type right. plane crash, but, like, that has happened. Mm. I did think, especially when we were watching the um, the plane crash again in the fifth one. In the one, fifth one, yeah. The way the engine just, like, explodes and sends shrapnel into the fuselage. I was like, that's stupid. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like, you know, the plane one is pretty, like... Also, no one knows enough how a plane works that they would find their disbelief, like, broken by that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the audience is like, I don't know how planes work. Like, sure, that's that could happen. That could happen, sure. Yeah, because no one knows enough that it just, like, it breathes naturally. Yeah. And, like, the... That's m- why I think the LASIK one is so stupid. Because, like, uh. I think everyone knows that the LASIK machines don't work like that. I mean, it doesn't... Like, I remember watching that the first time, like, thinking that like, there's, like, no way that, like, a LASIK can, like, just burn your hand right. like that. But maybe it could. I don't know. The, the, the thing that disturbs me about the LASIK scene in the fifth movie is not the realism of it, but, like, her screaming. Oh, yeah. And that's also the thing that scares me in the tanning bed is, like the true mortal terror that occurs in the characters. And so when she, like, 
awkwardly. That's the only one where she like suffers a lot before she dies. Yeah, when, when they make them suffer, that is the hardest part for me. That one's also ludicrous to me. She somehow like breaks through a huge window. Yeah, she just like topples out of it. Like that's a, like you know if if they had found a way for her to, like die in the room or something, I might have not hated it as much. Yeah, but that what I, the thing that is still the most disturbing to me is her screaming and like that one eye held open and like. The real fear the that she... The I think is really scary. Yeah. The real fear that she puts on her face, I think, it's like, oh, I get that. Yeah. I, I get really, that. As I said to you earlier, I think they wasted that character because she's so mm-hmm. good and so funny. And so cunty. And the only one with any personality in the fifth one. <laughs> and instead of, like, milk toast blonde Molly who has five lines. And, um, you know, I think they wasted her too early. Mm-hmm. Um... They, because they have that like I think this is a sweet scene kind of where she, like she's laughing at the funeral. <laughs> I thought that was sweet. I thought that was funny. What made what broke my heart was when she's holding the teddy bear. I know. Why does that make me feel so sad? I would like to inv- investigate this a little bit. Well, I think she's the only one that feels like a person in, yeah, that, in and, that movie. And like when she's like gripping onto the teddy bear for comfort, I don't know. That like gets at some like ancient gay instinct that I have about, like, Barbie dolls at the same oh, yeah. time. Barbie dolls can I very... I tons of stuffed animals. Barbies make me... Oh, I did too. And Barbies can make me really sad. Stuffed animals can make me really sad. I feel like those are, like, um, the loss of youth emblems that I, I have. tend to feel a lot of empathy for animal objects. I know that's kind of stupid, but... I do too. I think that's... It comes they, from... they say that a lot for, um, autism, so... Um, surprise. Hey. <laughs> I think that also comes from having, like, parents who were in the 80s and, like, they grew up probably not with a ton of objects around. And so they valued them a lot more. Like, my mom, I think she, like, because she like, grew up, like, you know, really, like, specifically thinking about every object that she owned, like, every dress that she wore to school, it makes it that she feels that way towards a lot of, like, everything she owns or, like, small everyday things. And so... Sometimes I feel like I do the same thing with, like, CDs or, like, stuffed animals. Like, you could not get me to give up a stuffed animal as a child. Oh, same, absolutely. I, would, I, had, I had, like, way too many. Yeah, and Toy Story didn't help with that either. I, like, literally felt that I was, like, killing a baby every time I, like, gave one up. Actually, what what fucked that up for me was, um, I was really into Calvin and Hobbes. Oh. Where he's a talking stuffed animal. Me too. Yeah, so I couldn't, like, all my stuffed animals to me were, like, Hobbes. Yeah, it was like, I'm having an esoteric, like, whimsical adventure with you in the backyard. So, now that I've had one with you, you are my best friend in the living yeah, thing. Literally. So, you're not an only child, though. I sure am. I forgot about this. Both of us had to rely on stuffed animals. To well, that, have- yeah, it's the thing is, like, you know, only child and then, like, single parent household. Which I know for you, a lot of the time, was, was the same thing. That's right. So, like, you know... She, like, couldn't possibly entertain me all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. So you're left like, with your own like, device with little toys. <laughs> I don't think... Like, she obviously didn't, like, neglect me, but, like, you know, she no. had to, like, go to work. <laughs> and I'm like, well, here I am. Guess I had to make best use of my toys and, like, go on whimsical adventures with I, mean, I was also lucky to have my grandparents really a random person yeah. in my life. So I would play with, like... I would, like, drag my grandmother upstairs and, like, like play with her in that, like, you know, I would... Oh, um, that's cute. Like... We would basically do, like, role-play games. I'd be like, okay, you're this person, I'm this person. <laughs> and it was always, like, in retrospect, like, the gayest shit, too. Because I'd be like, oh, yeah. I'm going to be this girl. And she would be like, okay, cool. Good for her. But, like, you know, they died before I, like, came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother was like... I think my mother one time said something about my grandparents. And I was like... As if my grandmother, who was, like, a psychiatric nurse and very well-versed in, like, human psychology... Mm-hmm. As if she did not fucking know, you know what I mean, when I was, like, six years old. I have great faith in her intelligence. I 100% know for a fact that my grandfather from Germany knew that I was gay at a young age. Because I could tell on his face that he knew, even, like, before I knew, but in retrospect I can see it. But, yeah, that's funny. That is a really um, unique only child experience of bonding with your animals and so that's why when I see her no, watching really the teddy bear I want to cry and she like plucks its like button eye off I was like <laughs> I wanted to like openly weep for that I also like I told you this before but I hate the um that mm. the fifth one tries to be so modern with the sensibilities mm. and it's like here's LASIK and like um acupuncture yeah and like you know they talked about someone being a hipster right they talked about like terrorism and then at the end, when we find out it's supposed to be the year, like, 2000, I was like, that's so stupid. Like, they tried to make this the updated, new Foundest Nation. And then they said it in the And then past- they made it a prequel. And I was like, it's just so... Because yeah. I'm not the realism person. I'm not going to be like, 
a LASIK machine can't do that. Cinema sins. Like, I think that's <laughs> stupid. You have to buy into the, um, the feel of Final Destination. Yeah. And so, like, the fact that it's not realistic with the machine is, like, kind of stupid, but, like, fine. But, like, the fact that they've committed so much to that tone... Mm-hmm. and then change it up at the end, I think it's dumb. Okay, I totally agree with you, but at the same time, I do think that there is, like, some merit to, like, the weird, uncanny vibe of all of these movies, because all of them are shot in Canada. Yeah. So it's, like... Because uh, yeah, we were trying to figure out where they were, and, like, they're all kind of, like, vaguely like, upstate New York. Yeah, but they could also be Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And that, the reason of that is because a lot of them were shot in Vancouver. Right. And I do kind of like this, like, hazy Americana where, like, nothing is quite right. It's, like, a little off-kilter, and it makes it feel, like, a little bit more, like, David Lynch to me, where it's, like, an impression of a country that's, like, divorced by some other layer. And so I can kind of get behind it, and I imagine if I had been walking into the theater when it was released, and then I was, like, I had not known about that thing of the plot twist where they're on the Paris flight from the first movie, I would have been gooped. Um, the first time I saw it, I obviously didn't know, and I was like, wow, but... <laughs> wow! <laughs> but also, the the wow thing is not what Final Destination should no, be about. it's not really about, like, having a mythos. And that's what Saw is for. Yeah. That's what Saw is for. That's what um, Halloween and Friday the 13th is for. Final Destination, to me, is all about reconciling with the dread of death and its inevitability. And it is really beautiful to me that this like, exists as, like a dumpy, garbagey, like, kind of red box rental fodder. It feels like a nice religious exercise for people to come to terms with their own mortality. I mean, it's kind of like riding a roller coaster. It is. Where it's like, you know, you you go for, like, the temporary thrill, and then you get off, and you probably don't think about your life or reflect on it too hard afterward, like... But I'm a little it's, broken it's, in my head, so I it's always like, end up it's doing it. It's like popcorn, anyway. like popcorn uh, roller coaster movie. Yeah. But no, I mean, I feel that too, obviously, because I became very obsessed with these movies. But I was also, prior to these movies, and also probably then reinforced by mm-hmm. them, um, I'm very interested in like the, the chronology and mechanism of like disaster. Absolutely. Because I don't believe there mm-hmm. are natural disasters. They're all, they're like, you know, there are obviously things that happen like earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Um, How would you characterize that? But there are times, like, in human history where, like, you know, like, in the Edo period, you could not really do shit about earthquakes. No. Like, they didn't even, they thought it was a giant catfish flopping around the under the crust of the world. And they went to, like, shrines to, like, there are these things called, I'm sorry, I'm going into No, Japanese this is religion. amazing. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. There are um, two big shrines, one Katori Jingu and Kashima Jingu, uh-huh. um, that are both in, like, Ibaraki now. Mm-hmm had big um, stones called kaname-eshi. Kaname being, the, it's like the, um, the yo in hitsuyo, mm-hmm. meaning like, in this sense, like linchpin or like cornerstone. Right. Um, and it, they were thought, one pinned down the head of the giant catfish, <gasps> and one pinned down the tail of the giant catfish, and then it wouldn't flop around and make earthquakes. Wow. And whether people like really, truly internalize this or not is a different story, but like that was the prevailing thing, and like, you know, when people went to shrines, they would mm-hmm. do that. And that's why the catfish is the... Um, the earthquake mascot now in Japan. Like, have you seen those? Um, yeah. Yeah, the, there are road signs in Japan that have, like, cartoon catfish, and they have information on, like, evacuating if you're in a natural disaster, like an earthquake. So, like, obviously, like, that exists. Like, earthquakes are real. But, like, the extent of disasters is, like, um, changed by our response to them as humans and our preparedness. Mm-hmm. Like, if we look at Katrina, mm. that didn't have to be, you know, famously, that didn't have to be that bad, but the response was so bad that it just became, like, this compounding system of disaster. Right. Um, and all, like, the knock-on effects. Or, like, when we think of the 311 disaster in Japan, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously hugely complicated by poor safety practices at the Fukushima Daiichi power plant. Like, so, in that sense, I think about disaster a lot of, like... I told you I read about, like, airplane disasters a lot. And right. there's a blog that I really like that is this girl, and she writes very, very in-depth articles about airplane disasters, and specifically, like, the mechanics of it... And, like, the the administrative factors that made things go wrong. And, like, sometimes with some accidents, by the time the crew and um, passengers get on that plane that day, mm-hmm. the disaster is already foretold. Wow. And there's nothing that crew could have done to fix it. Yeah. Because sometimes, like, you know, a maintenance issue... There's one famous one where, like, 20 years previous to the accident, a group of um, repair people soldered on a plate onto the outer fuselage wrong 
and that like they didn't send they didn't put in the right place for like the stress mm-hmm. of it and so over 20 years with you know many many depressurizations and repressurizations mm. it's stressed along a fault line where it shouldn't have been stressed mm-hmm. and eventually it just broke off in flight one day and you know depressurized explosive depressurization of the fuselage and that was that really bad and like 200 people died yeah but by the like the crew of that plane could not have behaved in a way to save the airplane you know what i mean right. like the pilot couldn't have piloted his way out of that so like the idea that by the time all those people got in that plane that day they were all already going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the kind of thing that really freaks me out when I read about disasters, and the mm-hmm. thing that draws me again and again and again to go on deep Wikipedia dives of, like, disasters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that Foundation really strikes at for me, is, like, the idea of a disaster that is already set in motion by the time you're a part of it and you can't possibly prevent. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think every disaster is that way. I mean, you can't decide the tectonic motions of the Earth. Or well, like, yeah, that's also true. Or, like, the government response to it. You have no... you ha- No human being has a single commanding, like, force over how all this happens. It's all collectively decided at this rate. Like, uh, we all exist as, like, a subconscious species in which, like, our wills are being, like... This is going to sound really loopy, but it's like all, no no one individual has like power over everything. So basically the entire way our world is being conducted is like through this like mass like push of and force of will that we all kind of like collectively have and there's like not one thing you can do as an individual about it, which is scary, but there is a nice comfort in the image you have of pinning down the catfish with these two opposite shrines in Ibaraki. And that, I think, is, like, what Americans do with the final, final, final well, destination. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of pinning it down with your fear of it. In yeah, that it's like, it's like you're, you're identifying the fear, you're visualizing it, and then you are putting it as garbage in the public atmosphere. Yeah. You, you are making it kind of like this tomato-throwing ritual where we can all look at this, like inexplicable, terrible, horrible thing that could happen to any of us at any minute and not necessarily making it a joke but making it something visible that we can all kind of reconcile with at the same time. And there's so little art that touches that for me and um, I don't... Do you feel like fear about like getting on a train like getting suddenly derailed or killed or shot up? Like do you do you have that fear? Because I don't really personally have it. It's that. not that I have that fear. Because I'm not, like, afraid of it happening, mm-hmm. and, like, I don't feel anxiety going, like, a plane or train. You have acceptance of it? It's not acceptance, but, like, I do think of it, like, every time I'm literally anywhere, I imagine, like, dying in, like, a freak accident. <laughs> but, like, not in a way where I'm, like, afraid of it. Right. But also not in a way where I'm, like, you know, I also don't want to die, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, but, like, I always imagine, like, something like that happening. Well, this leads me to a question that I think is quite important for what I'm doing on my show this season, which is I'm, I'm trying to look at all this stuff that we're talking about and wondering how we can take its themes or what we've personally gained from it and how we can apply that for a reason to fight to survive. And Final Destination might be the most challenging thing to derive a, an answer to that for because it's so you know, cynical and full of death. That's true. But if there was something, what do you think that might be? Well, I think the the characters never give up. Like, there's always in... Very true. Like, you know, Alex never gives up, Clear never gives up, Wendy never gives up. The, the other, guy in the fifth movie. The, the, <laughs> other guy, the other people, I guess, like, don't want to die. Right. So there's, like, that in terms of never giving up. But I think with the... You know, especially with the good installments of this franchise, like, there is... They all show a drive to live. Like, mm-hmm. very rarely... And found distinction as a character like resigned themselves to death. It's very admirable. Almost, almost. I can't think of an example off the top of my head. I have anyone who's like, I'll just die. Like, oh, in the in the fourth movie, someone tries to kill himself, but the the I think he's black, but he he has a a wife. He has a like, backstory or something. He like, tries to kill himself, but he can't do it. Yeah, I think they established but, that but in any case, yeah, you can't you can't kill yourself to yeah. avoid death. But that's the thing is like that's another. Um, important piece of mm. this movie even though I'm sure to them it's just like so they don't create a boring movie you can't have them all give up and kill <laughs> themselves but like I think that very utilitarian decision like gives it an air of like you know you can't give up you have to keep fighting death until the end until death like decides it's your time or whatever and it is oops my bad no no worries I mean if that was the case at the end of all of it then you would almost kind of like want to believe that the characters who in the fifth movie, who kill others in order to survive would be justified, which I don't necessarily think is correct, but 
Yeah, well, I think that's that's an angle they take very late. Yeah, it's very, I think it's very murky. <laughs> they try to add something new with it, and it doesn't... I felt it didn't work the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. Rewatching it now, I feel like it didn't work because they didn't really explore it. Right, it was it was kind of like there as a superficial feature to make a climax at the end of the movie. Yeah, and like the fact that the climax is about fight like physically fighting someone and not about death is really stupid no it's not it's not the correct vibe for and then the cop gets like shot and taken out of it for no reason right where, like they wove in this whole plot line about like the cop and then get rid of him immediately mm-hmm. like i just don't think the the structure of the fifth one is very good at all i think that maybe actually maybe these movies are completely pivotal to the theme of the show this season because you are going to die and right. it could be merciless and violent yeah, that's the thing it, it might come like might come before you've done something you want to do. It might come in a way that you don't deserve. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And this is the only movie franchise I've ever seen that like really testifies to that because everything else is so contextualized. Like I, I keep going back to Halloween just because I've been watching a lot of those movies recently. But like you can feel within the narrative of the movie that it's like they are dying because they have betrayed their youth and their innocence and have been soiled by sex or something. Right. Every slasher has that kind of feel, but. Final Destination really just acknowledges that you will die violently one day and alone and miserably and in deep torture and pain. And all you can do with your time on Earth is push against it with all the might that you have because life is inherently valuable to these movies, actually. If it wasn't, then, you know, they wouldn't exist at all. But the characters believe that life has meaning and so they push to pursue it no matter what and Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the one who I see that the most in. Yeah, especially. I think that's why her the ending of that one is so like painful because she really like she wants it and for a time achieves it and then gets taken away from her again. It's so it's but so like, you sad. Know, like <laughs> but like people you know in college die all the time. I had there were two people in my um universe that died while I was there, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's ne- like you know, obviously at the time it felt horrible. I didn't know anything personally, but like, obviously at the time, you're, you're like, oh my god, someone died. But, like, now that I'm a little older, um, it's, like, you know, dying at, like, 21, where you, like, haven't got to, like, do anything yet is, like, so tragic. Oh, yeah, and these characters who are 18, 17 going on 18, it's like, I'm going to college, I'm going to New York, I'm going to, like, make my dreams come true. I do like how they established the the tanning bed bimbos were, that like... they weren't... That, that they the were characters 17. were 17, they had the boobs. I know the actresses were, obviously, much 29 older. 29 and 50, but... Like, she I, probably wasn't 29, <laughs> she had a huge boob job, but... Oh, yeah, and I live for that. I want more sexualized titty girls in our fucking movies immediately. It made me love them more. <laughs> well, on that note... Those who don't fight won't survive. Here we go. To support the continuation of your favorite online experimental art audio project, please pledge $5 to I'm So Popular on patreon.com slash I'm So Popular. The bonus episodes of the show, the essential untouched continuation sirens, as well as access to the Discord and Chi-Chi's book club. Ja, mata ne. Kage o